0: We've been in a series called Promotion and talking about uh, moving up in God and moving up in the things of God and increase in our life. And I'm going to move away from that, I believe, for one week and possibly get back to it next week. But in praying and getting ready, I really felt impressed to share uh, this subject one day so, you're here for it. And I'm going to talk about heavenly perspective. And um, if you have a Bible, I'm not going to tell you where to turn. Should I? Should I tell you? Well let me say a couple things <laughs> first then I'll tell you where to turn. But talking about a heavenly perspective, this subject, you know, in getting ready and praying, I was like, "Oh God, you really want me to share this." And I it just kept coming up and coming up. So I thought, "Okay, I'm going to do it." And this is a subject that and there are some like this in the church world and it and in it, and it can be a reason why that Some things are so polarizing, you know, like you'll see one group over here and one group over here, and each one has a truth that says, this is why I'm here in the kingdom of God, or this is why I'm here. And this is one of those subjects, but I think the key to this subject, because you can look at it from different ways, and we will, is to stay in the middle of the road. And I think sometimes there are subjects in the kingdom of God and in the church where if you're not really careful, you can kind of end up on one side or the other, and then neither one is really helpful. Uh, they can be damaging, so to speak. So I'm going to look at this subject about being heavenly, having a heavenly perspective on this subject, And I believe it will be a real help to us to kind of stay in the middle of the road. It really will help us how to um, work with people, help people, how to look at things ourselves in a healthy way. I believe this, that every Christian is washed. They're clean in God's sight. They're a new creation in Him. There are over a hundred verses in the New Testament that tell us our position in Christ. We know that we're one with Him. We know that we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And these are a proper mentality. And, you know, I think we we can do pretty good on these types of things. And we're to love people and be merciful. Um, But there are appropriate things and there are non-appropriate things uh, that a believer is to do and to not do. And we realize this, or we should realize this, that believers, hold on one second, that believers um, are to be different than the world. And we don't judge the world like we would think in line with what a believer should do. In other words, we shouldn't be bothered at the world and go, why are they addicted to drugs? Or why are they doing that? Because they're of the world they need to know the Lord. And so I'm going to talk about a right kind of mentality when it comes to um, sin and what is right and wrong. Turn with me to John 3, 17. John three seventeen, And as we go into this, I think a picture will be painted that will help us internally look at things appropriately. Notice John 3.17. Most people know John 3.16 if you're into sports. You know, it used to be you couldn't watch a football game. Somebody wasn't in the end zone with a sign. You don't see it as much anymore, or see it anymore, but it used to say John 3.16. You know, there was a wrestler that took on the name 3.16 because of this verse. And John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. So the purpose of Jesus coming to the world was not to condemn a sinful world. God loved the world, so he sent his son into the world to not condemn people. That's one thing you can find out about Jesus when he was on the earth. He wasn't condemning people who were sinning. He didn't come to condemn people. But it goes on to say, but that the world through him would be saved. Here's an interesting thought. If God did not send Jesus, and how many think he was the pinnacle, the high, into the world to condemn the world for what they were doing wrong, how many of you would agree that that's true by that verse? He did not come to condemn people for what they were doing wrong. Right? So, how many think that he would send any one of us into the world to condemn somebody? If he didn't send Jesus to condemn the world, would he send any believer to condemn the world? It's a good question. Would he have an assignment for us that would look like a different assignment? In other words, did God send his son to condemn people for when they were doing wrong? No. And if he didn't send him to do it? Is he going to send any one of us to go condemn somebody? Well the answer to that would seem simple and the answer would be no. Now turn with me to Hebrews the first chapter and we're just laying down a couple of verses about the approach to sin and how God doesn't condemn people. If that is all you hear you could get lopsided. Like if God doesn't condemn, and God is, you know, didn't send Jesus to condemn the world, and he doesn't send us to condemn the world, Hebrews, the first chapter, then, you know, is then living anyway just okay with God? And we should have no problem with anybody doing anything and living any way on the earth, and if Jesus came into the world and did not condemn people, and he came up to them, and he would He met people sinning, and we, we, we'll look at some, I believe, later where he did not condemn them, but in not condemning them, did Jesus kind of have an attitude like, well, no big deal. Um, You know, I don't condemn you. You know, I don't condemn anybody. Actually, uh, let's look at this verse in verse, uh, first chapter, verse 9. This is what the Bible said how Jesus was when he was here on the earth. And it said, you have loved righteousness or right living and hated lawlessness. Other translations say you hate sin. Isn't it interesting that that he hated sin, but he didn't condemn people? What what a mentality. He hated sin, but he wasn't condemning people. And this is where I said it becomes Tricky where people don't end up in a ditch, where where you know there's an acceptance of everything. But if you look at these scriptures and we're going to look at other ones, our mentality towards certain things is important. We're to be merciful like God is merciful. We're to be kind as God is kind. But at the same time, we're not to be accepting and think everything is okay. And all kinds of living and all kinds of lifestyle are just okay. Are you with me? And that can be a balancing thing. Because sometimes when we see something that's wrong with somebody, if we know that's wrong, we might think, "Ugh, I'm going to straighten you out. Or if we start swinging the other way, uh, we we think, well, there's nothing wrong with that. That's okay. I, I was talking to Pastor Linda about this, and, and we both were thinking about this one minister. And even ministers have to be careful of this. There was a predominant minister who was uh, tremendously used by God. Lots of miracles happened in his meetings. I mean, people... Um, came to his meetings in droves, drove, drove, and in droves. They drove there in droves, in bunches. But later on in his life, he got to this place where I'd even heard him say this, if you smoke cigarettes, you're going to go to hell. And she had heard the same thing. And is it true that if you smoke cigarettes, you go to hell? No, you just smell like you've been there before you got there or before you get to heaven. It's not about that. But are cigarettes bad? Yeah, other things are too. But does it make it like that I should tell you you're going to another, like you're going to hell? No, it, it can be detrimental. It can harm you in so many ways and even harm you spiritually or whatever. But That's kind of going into the ditch on one side. Then the other side is, well, it's no big thing. Whatever you do, live any way you want to. There's something about this where we show a lot of mercy outward, but we have certain internal standards. Are you with me? Isn't God kind of like that? Where he has these standards, but he's very merciful very much wants to help people. Doesn't want them to live in it. We can see Jesus set people free, but he loved righteousness, hated sin, and it said God caused joy to come into his life and certain pleasures just because of that. So you could see that not having certain standards could rob us of different things. Turn to 1 Corinthians 5 and we're going to start looking at this. And, and one of the interesting things that we're going to look at here is a mentality that we should have, and it doesn't mean that we're even doing wrong. And we're going to notice that in the Bible, having a certain mentality towards things that are wrong is appropriate, uh, that we should think a certain way, and even though we may not be doing the wrong thing. Are you with me? 1 Corinthians 5 verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. And such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles that a man should take his father's wife. What it was was in this... uh, Church, what had happened was there was some young man that took his stepmom to be with him. Uh, She's married and he's now cohabiting with her. And uh, all the people are knowing this and nobody's thinking anything's wrong with it. Now here's the issue. Only that guy and that lady are doing this but he addresses the attitude of the church. Now what they are doing is wrong. And we can see that sexual immorality is something so different in the Bible than every other sin. I mean, it's it's a different one. Even so much that he said that Because of sexual immorality, there comes a joining of the two. And he said, every sin that anybody will ever do is outside the body. But anybody who commits sexual immorality, and he tried to explain this, that they're the temple of God. That you have now been joined in union with Christ, and you're one with him. And now when you do this, if you do any sins, you're doing them outside the body. But when you do this, you actually sin against the temple of God and you join Christ to a whore. That's what he said, not me. And that's, I, well, wait a minute, you know, and then he talked about destroying and affecting the temple and and this union thing. And he was talking about all this, and he was saying you guys are not even the ones committing it. And he goes through all this in these chapters here. But verse 2, he says something very interesting. He said, you are puffed up or literally arrogant or you are becoming prideful. Now, pride from a Bible standpoint, most of the times is a very, very derogatory thing. It's a very self-driving thing it is actually what caused satan to fall and so pride is a lifting up of our own self our own way our own ideas and he said you are puffed up and have not rather mourned now think about this we're talking about getting the right perspective a heavenly perspective where we don't end up on the ditch on one side and we don't end up on the ditch on the other side we're not accepting of everything. We're not rejecting and mean to people. That's why I said it's easy to see where people get off. And you can go to one church and you do something wrong and you're, ah, ah. and then you go to another church and it's okay, you can do whatever you want to. There's somewhere in the middle that each person needs to know what the standards are and exalt those internally, being merciful outward but having some kind of inward structure where we go, this is wrong. I'm not about condemning people, but I am about being salt. I am about being light to the world. I am about doing what is pleasing to the Lord. And what had happened to this group of people, uh, they were totally accepting of this, like there is nothing wrong. And then he explains, this is why you're thinking like this. Because you're actually getting full of pride and you're actually arrogant. Somebody might think, what do you mean I'm arrogant? But he said arrogance inflates and makes things acceptable. Are you with me? He said you should have rather mourned or gone, oh, that's not right. isn't that an interesting thought he said, when there's not a mourning for certain things or like ooh that's not right, then that could be a problem and and we we need to realize that this group of people were not doing the deed he He told them they they need to deal with the person who's doing the deed, but He talked to them about a right way to look at things. And he even goes on to talk about having this kind of attitude actually could possibly allow uh, more things to grow inside of us of acceptance that's inappropriate for wrong things. Turn with me to Ezra back in the Old Testament. If you're wondering, it's on page 419. Depending on your Bible. And uh, this is another one of these types of things where um, we need to look at things and we need to realize the world is going to live certain ways because they are the world. But as a believer, we're to have internal standards and live a certain way because we want to please God. But one thing that I find that's so interesting about this set of Scripture And we're going to begin in the 10th chapter. But back in the 9th chapter, we find that Ezra uh, starts searching through Scripture and different things and finds out that the lifestyle that the people were living, not him, was not acceptable before God. They had been marrying people that were not covenant people. They were warned, don't do that. You know, we we recognize the value in this. Marrying somebody who's compa- combat- compatible, not compatible, that would be maybe not what you'd want, but where they're compatible with you, we look at that type of thing. And God looked at that and said, hey, Here's an area of compatibility that's hugely important. If you're going to get married, marry somebody of the covenant. Don't marry these people who are serving false gods because you will see that they will draw you after them. And so he, he, he tells us these things, but the children of Israel had been taken captive and they started compromising and they just hadn't been rooted in the truth like they had been at one time. And they were starting to accept some things and ideas that were inappropriate. Now, Ezra's not doing it. Some of the things that I find here in this set of passage in the ninth chapter, as he's kind of Going through this mourning for what is wrong and what the people are doing, even though he's not doing it. In verse 13, it said, And after all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great guilt, since you are God, you have punished us less than our iniquities deserve. Now, remember, we're talking about perspective. And gaining a correct perspective, even though he knew what was wrong, that these things were wrong, one thing he observed, he said, wow, God, you're not even paying us back what we deserve. In other words, there is a just punishment, but that's not how you are. Do you think we should be that way? To people where we don't just go, okay, you're going to get it. No, we should probably be like God. I know that sounds weird, but we probably should mimic him where we're not just going to make everybody exactly get what they deserve, because guess who is not getting exactly what they deserve? You, not me, you. No, all of us, right? All of us. And so he is in this time of finding out the truth. And realizing, wow, God doesn't like this kind of stuff. He's not even practicing it like the Corinth church. And he said, man, I am sorry, God. And he starts repenting and adjusting his attitude. But he's still merciful to people. But he's, not, he, he's, he's confessing. He's saying this is wrong. Notice the 10th chapter of the first verse. Now, while Ezra was praying, and while he was confessing and weeping and bowing down before the house of God, so this is where he's at. He's at the house of God going, Man, we've been just messing up, God. This is not appropriate. What is he doing when he's confessing, when he's declaring these things? He's actually changing himself. He's actually adjusting his own attitude. He's realizing, man, I've been accepting toward this and I should have a different attitude towards the things. God has a different attitude. He wasn't going to need to change what he was doing per se because he wasn't doing these things. But he did change his attitude toward them. I believe in his attitude was mercy because he saw God doing that. But he said, As he was doing this, a very large assembly of men, women, and children gathered to him from Israel, uh, for the people wept very bitterly. What happened was, as the leaders started seeing this and changing it, started spreading through the people, and they went, man, we're compromising. You know, when we're salt to the world, not just by telling, but by a light People, you know, and by a certain kind of lifestyle, people look at that. They know there are things different. You know, we can preach, and we should. You know, it's been said, you know, live it in front of them, and if you have to, share it. No, we always have to share it, but we do because people can't be saved unless we share But we should live it in front of them. We should have internal standards. We should be full of mercy for other people, but we should recognize there is right, there is wrong. And what happened here is he's been repenting, he's been uh, fasting and praying and declaring, and it starts infecting the rest of the group. They start realizing the way we're living is not right. And it said, and uh, this group of people came... And they start saying, we've trespassed against God in the next verse and have taken pagan wives and it goes on to say different things. But what had happened was this knowledge that one man started holding to started spreading through the rest of them and people started repenting. I remember I had the opportunity to uh, lead one of my coworkers to the Lord. This is years ago. And um, he got on fire for God. And I mean, he just loved God and he's starting to go to church. And I remember one one time after work, he said, hey, you want to go to Denny's? Who doesn't want to go to Denny's? Of course, I'll go to Denny's. Moon's over my hammy? No. Thunderbird or whatever they are. Superbird. Sorry for those Denny's people. Get yourself in trouble. But I said, yeah, we'll go. So, so he drove and I drove. And when, we, when he pulled up, he got out of his car. He came over to my car. He said, you want to read the Bible before we go in? And I was like, cool. So he, he had a Bible in his car. I had one in my car. He said, well, I'll just jump in your car. And I'm like, okay. So I grabbed my Bible and I just opened it up. And I remember it happened to be in Galatians, the fifth chapter. And so we just started reading you know, just a few verses. We were in the car maybe, I don't know, three minutes, four minutes. And then, you know, we read this and it said, you know, uh, about fornication and some other stuff. And I remember we got out of the car and started walking in. and He was like, wow, that was so cool. Man, don't want to do any of that stuff. You know, it's like idolatry and all this stuff. And he's like, what's fornication? Well, I probably didn't, wouldn't have known because it wasn't a word, you know, people aren't just like, oh, are you fornicating? Oh, uh, you know, they're fornicating, you know. I didn't know what that was. But at that point in life, by that point, I did. I said, well, that, that's just sex outside of marriage. And he looked at me and went, really? I went, yeah. He goes, well, I better change. Well, he had a girlfriend. He had not been saved long. He didn't think anything of it. He's new. But man, what the word did, and he built this standard up inside of him. He said, I got to change. He didn't just say, Well, you know, the Lord's merciful, the Lord's forgiving. He realized, Wow, that's not appropriate. And when that truth came, and that's what happened with them, is he's praying, is in the temple, finding out what the scripture said. He starts adjusting, and it starts affecting other people. And, um, And like I said, but Ezra was not the one who sinned. So what was it that Ezra was doing? He was changing heart attitude and heart motive. And that's a huge thing. Turn to 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. And this, you know, we live in a world that, that you can watch shows, uh, movies, that you have to guard yourself lest you see it enough and you go, well, is there really anything wrong with that? We need to make sure we're bolstering up the, the beliefs we have that come from God. And what had happened we see back then and in Corinth is that they had kind of started accepting everything as okay. And thinking, well, you know, whatever will be, will be. And they realized by seeing the truth that there is some kind of line. And here in 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, it says this, and we'll begin reading in the 11th verse. It says, now all these things happened to them as examples. Now they were, these things that he wrote about were Old Testament scriptures. He said those things happened to them as examples for us. In other words, we can learn something. We may not be under their covenant because we're under a new covenant in the Lord. We're different than them, but there are examples, and these are those examples for to live by. And so he said, Now these things happen to them as examples. They were written for our admonition or for our instructions upon whom the ends of the age have come. Now it goes on to say, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. He said, be careful when you think you're standing properly, you might just fall. And what was he saying? And why was he giving this warning? He said, you've got to go look at these different examples and things that these people fell into, you have to be careful you don't fall into the same things. He said these four different Old Testament ones, but he was talking really about the Old Testament scriptures and things that were examples. He said these things that happened, things like David killing Goliath, are an example for us of standing in faith and living in victory. And all the different things that happened, happened as examples. Well... If they happened for an example for us so we could learn something, and what was it that he was not wanting them to do was repeat what others had done. What had Ezra done? What had the people done? They had gotten to the point where they were accepting and doing everything that the world was doing, and they had to repent or change their attitude. I'm going to read this verse in the Amplified. Verse, verse 12 it says therefore let the one who thinks he stands firm immune to temptation being overconfident and self-righteous like I'm okay he said don't just think you're okay without any good ideas that you are okay or any good standard that you are okay and what he was basically saying is, you have to look at what these other people did to know if you really are okay. And one of the things that they did, we looked at, was they had an attitude that, well, it's no big deal. And so that, this is why I'm talking a balance between condemning people being merciful to people, having our own standards. And we're going to look at a couple more real quick before we go. But he said, Therefore, let the one who thinks he stands firm, immune to temptation, being overconfident and self-righteous. Isn't it interesting? There's that lifting up again of self that blurs lines. He said, Take care or take, give attention That he does not fall into sin and then into condemnation. Because it leads to a condemnation or a a sense of guilt when we do wrong. And when we live wrong and he didn't want them to live under that destructiveness. But he said you're going to have to evaluate different things in a proper light. Or you could repeat what was done. And so what are we talking about? We're talking about a balance between knowing what's right and wrong, living it for ourselves, having a standard, you know, like this is wrong, but being merciful and forgiving, but still having standards. That's why I said this is a tricky one. Maybe you don't think so. Let's look at a couple more verses that, or look at this one, John 10, or John 8, and we'll see again how Jesus lived this kind of life where he didn't accept sin, he, he didn't say, yeah, sin's okay, you could do what you want to, I love you anyway. And th- this is why I was saying, these things have to be built into us or we can come across like some girl gets pregnant, you know, she's some, in some church, and everybody's like, she's pregnant. Arr. Well, where's the guy? Get him in there too, and errr him. And now, now, now we're going to treat her bad, or some group will, and the little baby who's innocent is all get out. You get where I'm coming from? We don't accept and say, well, that life is just okay. But man, we want to be merciful to her. We want to be merciful to the baby. You get where I'm coming from? We don't want to be like, well, we're not going to give you a baby shower because you did this wrong. We don't even know if she repented or not. But we'll do it to the one, the other one that, you know, got married and did it this way. Why don't we have a standard and go, okay, if what she did, she did whatever it takes to None of us are without sin. Let's have a standard. Let's know what's right and wrong. But, you know, in different matters, why, why can't we be kind? Why can't we stand up internally? Maybe they would look at us and go, yeah, there is a life. They probably already know. They probably already recognize, man, I missed the mark. They don't need a bunch of people to beat them up. Amen. See what I'm saying? It's kind of a line. Because you're not trying to celebrate the act that caused it. She's going to have to live with the consequences. And there will be a wonderful child that will be born. But should the child be then penalized too? And, you know, just, just talking... This is a line. Are you with me? Notice this in John 8. What would Jesus do? If, if he came into the world not to condemn the world, but he hated sin, what are we going to do about this? How are we going to act toward people? Because sometimes people, and I get it, you can be real critical, like, oh, that's wrong, and it is wrong. But don't change the it's wrong to it's okay. Keep that internal, but be merciful. Notice this in John 8. Awesome story. I'm glad it's in the Bible, Because all of us probably should know where this verse is. Because at some point in life, we're going to need it or we're going to know somebody who does. So Jesus is there wherever he was. And these religious people came and they brought this woman who they had caught in the very act of adultery. In the law the woman should be stoned to death. They're going to trap Jesus. They, they've worked to do this through his life. And think about it. He loves what's right and he hates sin, but he doesn't condemn. And they know he's a keeper of the truth. So we're going to get him with this standard of truth and we got a woman in the act of adultery. What's real fascinating, for some reason, they only brought the woman and not the man. According to the law, they both should be stoned to death. You know, there, there was no if, ands, or buts about it, but they brought the woman. You wonder was the man in the group? Was this a setup? Well, we know it was a setup, so they bring this woman and they pull out the scripture. How many of you know we need to be teachable and tempered by love and mercy? It'd probably be better to err on that side. But the idea is not erring and trying to get in the middle of the road the best we can. How many of you know it's, it, there is something to be said about staying in your lane when you're driving? How many of you know it's a constant effort? You're constantly doing this. I've done it. I remember driving to Oklahoma the first time and going through the panhandle of Texas. There isn't a straighter road anywhere. I remember locking my elbows well, you can't do that long because you, you think, okay, I'm going to aim down there and I'm just going to not turn my hands or I'm just going to stay right in the middle. Man, I wouldn't be here if I stuck with that. I would have been in a major accident. Because you have to, even on the straightest road, make adjustments. So I don't know where all of us are. Some of us might be really in the middle. Some might be on one side or on the other. But wherever we are, let's have mercy on everybody. The idea is to get somewhere in the middle of the road on this subject. And here, Jesus is our example. The Bible said how we ought to live. And they said, you know, in the law of Moses, this woman should be stoned. She was caught in adultery. What are you going to do about it? Because they knew he was kind and they knew he loved people. And they thought, we're going to move him over here because we've got a scripture. And they did have a scripture. But he had already learned to beat the devil by countering scripture out of context. And so we'll read in verse 10. No, we'll go back to... um, Verse 7. No, we'll go back to verse 5. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? In other words, are you going to go against Moses? That would have destroyed him if you're going to go against the word. And they, verse 6, this they said testing him, That they might have something of which to accuse him. They didn't even care about her. They didn't even care about Moses' law. They didn't even care what was right and wrong. This was all about get Jesus. A real interesting thought. That they might accuse him, but he stooped down and he wrote in the ground with his finger as though he did not hear them. Isn't Jesus cool? I mean, they're talking to him, you know, and, and there's a ton of sermons of, that will tell you what Jesus wrote in the ground. I know exactly what he was doing. Anybody care to know? He was playing checkers, or tic-tac-toe. He was down there going like this. Haven't you done that? Some of you all got got quiet on me. You're thinking, he didn't do that. No, we don't know what he did, but he was writing in there. And so we can't tell you what he did, and nobody should attempt to, unless you're talking about playing tic-tac-toe. So he's just ignoring them. Verse 7, so when they continued asking him, and he's just ignoring and ignoring and ignoring and not going to deal with it, and not going to deal with it, and not going to deal with it, and not going to deal with it. Then finally he raised himself up and said to them, All right guys, he who is without sin among you, let him throw the first stone. Okay, it says it. Now, since you're judging her, this is good, since you're judging her, go ahead, because those who are perfect should be able to chuck a stone, so if none of you have done anything, be the first one to throw a stone. I wonder if people forget things when they start judging they forget about moi and again he stooped down and finished his game of tic-tac-toe then those who heard it being convicted in their own conscience internally not just in their head they went uh me Me, not me, I've done wrong. Now we're talking about how to live this life. And what we should have internally was Jesus accepting her life. He wasn't even dealing with it yet. He was now dealing with other people who were in this ditch of kill them all. And he said, you're at fault too. And we know the scriptures, he who shows no mercy will find no mercy. In some sense, maybe he's kind of helping them. But it says, they each went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had raised himself up, He saw no one but the woman. She was the only one left. Everybody else is gone. All her accusers. And he said, woman. See, you're allowed to say that. Woman. (laughs) I mean, you could get in trouble. Jesus didn't. (laughs) Woman. Where are those your accusers? Those accusers of yours. Has no one condemned you? In other words, all the condemnation that was being heaped on you by these religious people going, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. All that condemnation has now just been removed because the people who are condemning have been removed. And he made a statement. He said, the perfect person is the, la- the one who's allowed to condemn. You know, he was the only one that was perfect in the bunch that could condemn. But he wasn't sent into the world to condemn, but he didn't like sin. She said, no one, Lord, no, nobody's condemning me. They're all gone. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Just go back and find that guy and finish what you were doing. No. He said, I don't condemn you. Go and quit sinning. Really? Just go and don't do it anymore? Yeah, I'm not condemning you. Just don't go and do that anymore. Then Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. In other words, if you want to see how to do it, here's the light. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. It's real interesting that he worked this balance. Now, understand this. I'm going to say this, and I wasn't going to, and we're going to close. This is extra. We are not the government. We are the church. You are a believer. We can see right now the world is... Like, the engines are burning on the plane and there's a possibility of a crash landing right now in the Middle East. They could erupt. I mean, last night, missiles came from Syria. That's a new front. And so Israel went in and bombed the runways of their airport. Second time, not the first time, in about a week. So Iran can't get it. So we can see these things happening. But don't be mistaken that we go, oh, let's forgive them. We're not the government, we're believers. As a believer, we act like believers. As the government, they don't bear the sword in vain. We should expect them to use the sword. We should expect them to exact judgment we should expect that not everybody is going to live on the standard we're living in. So though I forgive them, the government may need to step in in situations and enforce laws. Why? Because their hearts haven't changed. They'll keep repeating it. Thank you. Because if you think like the church, the the government should act like the church, we would get run over, we'd get in trouble, but the Bible's clear on it. That the government should act different than the church so I could work in the government and be in the military and kill somebody because I had to. Because if I just say, well, I forgive you, their ideologies could be so bad or somebody on the streets could be so bad It's a mistake for us to think there's good in everybody. It's actually unscriptural to think that way. The Bible said evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse as the end comes. So we need to realize there are people with ideology, ideologies, ideas, that force has to be shown. That's what they know. They have to be locked up, they have to be stopped, or we have to fight them. Because if we just say, well, we'll forgive you, they'll turn around and stab you in the back because their heart is not the same. You understand these are balancing things to find the right line. Here's what we don't want. We don't want to hate the Jews and we don't want to hate the Palestinians. We may, there may be some really wrong Jewish people and there may be some really wrong Palestinian people and there might be terrorist organizations and they're all bad and whatever. We just need to realize we're first believers. We care about their eternal salvation, first and foremost. But that doesn't preclude the fact that if we didn't as a nation or Israel didn't do something as a nation or some country didn't do something as a nation, they would just get run over. Understand there is a difference between what I'm talking about, our lives, how we function, and some of these other areas. Because you could end up in a ditch and think our government should forgive everybody. Even student loans. Wait a minute. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. We were going so good until right then. Let's bow our heads and pray.